minute. So I'm going to be reading from Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or God for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Trust. And today we're going to talk about trust. I'm also going to talk about King. Um, but we're going to talk about this guy here we just heard about. Uh, the man who almost had it all. Almost had it all. So, I've got to do a bit of tripping here. So what are the first thoughts about this parable we just heard? The first thoughts are, first of all, actually, no, it's not a parable. This actually happened. And it was troubling for not just the man, but also for the disciples as well, because even Peter said, wow, what, what needs to happen then? It actually seems on first hand quite abrupt of Jesus, quite radical, and he's certainly not watered it down for this man, the message. Jesus was not beating around the bush here. He doesn't seem to be his kind and compassionate, forgiving side. Who is this Jesus we've, uh, we've come across in this message? But you know, it's really easy to miss the truth sometimes when it's delivered in moderation. The truth can, however, be unmistakable when it's delivered undiluted. And that kind of powerful truth-telling is what Jesus is known for, especially in this passage. We know from that Mark's, in Mark's account of this, of this passage that Jesus is about to leave town. As Jesus started on his, on his way, this man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Perhaps it's the man's last chance to ask this question. To see Jesus face to face before he leaves. He's heard all about him. And so he runs up and falls on his knees. At first glance, this story is a matter or a picture of urgency. It seems earnest. The man seems to have humility. 
he's asking very seemingly a very spiritual and deep question. So what do we know about this rich younger ruler? Well, he's wealthy, has great wealth, and he is got youth on his side. Matthew speaks about his youth. He's a young man. And because of his wealth and earnestness and the fact that he's a leader in the uh, local Sahedrin as well, in the synagogue, probably has great respect in his own town, his own area. He's a person who's entrusted with a governance in that area as well. So it's very well respected. In fact, other people in, in his community, despite his youth, might have looked up to him. He was having a good life, it seems. And he had real, a few real concerns in life. He had a degree of authority and power, which others might have envied, in fact. His neighbours might have said, he's a great neighbour to, 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 to live along with. In short, this man seems like he had it all. But in his fine robes, groomed, he's kneeling in the dirt of the roadside at the edge of town with a burning question on his heart. So what is the question? The question of all questions. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Perhaps the best and greatest question of all and ever has been for all of mankind. What is, the, what is the question? What is the difference, and I'm going to open it up here a little bit, what is the difference between the question this guy asks compared to the question that other people ask of Jesus? What are the kind of questions can you remember that Jesus is asked by other people? Can you think? Can you heal me? Can you heal me? The greatest commandment. What about other spiritual leaders? What? Stefan? Yeah, that's right. And quite often, other leaders, they try to catch him out. They try and trick him, aren't they? This guy is not like that. This guy is not trying to trick him, not trying to catch him out. In fact, one of the examples is that why do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? He's not, it seems, it seems like he's, he's got a good question, but yeah, he gets quite an abrupt answer. So I want to divide into little groups, just maybe a few groups and discuss four questions amongst yourselves. Are these four questions on the screen? And if in two or three minutes, we'll come together and we'll discuss these questions. Okay, so question one, guys. Question one. So let's have, let's have, let's go to the group at the back. It's not a quick trick question, although, you know, it seems, super, seems like a bit of a funny question. But what do, you, what do you think about question one? What do you think about question one? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts about question one? Kind of the same thing? I mean, it's a funny question, but most people in the world know that Jesus existed and that he was human. Yeah, nobody would deny that. Most people know that. It wasn't just some kind of weird spiritual thing. He was actually a person, a physical person. But does it stop there? Does it go beyond that? Question two, did the young man think that Jesus was divine? Not clear, is it? And we could talk about that a bit more in a minute. It's not, but it's not clear. Anything else in question two? Okay. Did the rich man think that Jesus had authority? Was on it. Yes, Becky. Yeah, we said yes because you called him teacher, a teacher is, well, as a teacher, I like to think a teacher should be with authority. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we thought he, he did. Um, well, what's the question he's asking? Yeah, about so, if, if, if you're going to ask somebody a question about eternal life, surely this guy must have some kind of authority. Otherwise, why would he be talking about it? Why would he even go and ask him about getting into heaven or having eternal life? We didn't know the way or have access or show you the way. You must have had some authority. Any other thoughts on that? If you ask him what must I do, that's, that's what gravity is going Yeah, exactly. And when, what about the fourth question? Let's pick on a group we haven't had. Maybe this one here. We could discuss that. Oh, <laughs> this one. Did the man trust Jesus? We felt that he did trust Jesus. Yes. We, we obviously felt that Jesus had authority. We able to answer that question. Okay, so trust him about his answer. Okay. And we also say that we publicly, you know, ask this question. Would you want to ask? Trusted the answer to the question. Okay, so a different kind of angle on trust there. Okay, and what did the rich man... Sorry, Helen. Go on, sorry. So, we felt that he trusted, but he didn't trust the answer. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't trust that God did the impossible. Because he went away sad. So, he trusted that Jesus could give him an answer, but he didn't necessarily trust. Sorry, it's just been from Paso for me. <laughs> thanks, Sarah. thanks, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's different levels of trust, isn't there? Different levels of trust. Thanks, we're going to say something on that? No, sorry, I was just drawing your attention. Okay. Right. And what did the rich man really want? Uh, just at first glance of the story, what did the rich man want? Reassurance, affirmation, affirmation validation. Go on, Mulligan. <laughs> you know, go on, Mulligan. So I say what you said, Mark. Yeah. Okay. He, he, Mulligan had a good answer. I'll just make it short. Um, he knew, well, he, he had everything according to everyone else. Mm -hmm. He felt he liked something. He did feel like he liked something. Otherwise, why is he running to the edge of town before he leaves? It, if his life's fine, why does he need Jesus? 
You know, the, the, the first, even the first thing, good teacher. Now, I don't know about you, but when I want to for my wife, Try and butter her up a little bit. You know, you, you do, you've done that with your parents when you're younger. You want to butter them up a little bit because you want something. You know, you, do, you try and get on the good side of them before you then ask the question. You know, it seems to me that this guy's kind of buttering him, buttering up here. You know, buttering Jesus up. You know, love your sandals, Jesus. Those lovely, that lovely beard and blue eyes. Uh, anyway, you're from where you believe in? Maybe not blue eyes. Probably not. But you know, it's like good teacher. Can't bust Jesus up. Flattery will get you nowhere with Jesus. As my mother used to say, you couldn't bottom my parents up, that's for sure. What was Jesus' response? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. It kind of backfired on this guy, isn't it? The good teacher thing. He doesn't exchange pleasantries. Yeah, you're good, you know, you're a great guy in your community. I'm a good teacher, let's, you know, pat each other's backs and, you know, be on our way, validate each other, aren't we both great? This guy was after validation. Jesus was not denying his own position of authority here in saying, why do you call me good? But he was trying to avoid empty flattery. Other people have called him Lord. Nicodemus called him Lord. Lots of different ver- of examples of Jesus being recognised as God, and Peter, have a way, get away from you, I'm a sinful man. You know, when you realise you're in the presence of divine, there's always a reaction, an emotion. But what does this young man's question tell us about what is really going on inside? So I've got to scroll down on my laptop. No, thank you. He must have been feeling inadequate. What I've just discussed. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked the question. He believes that eternal life is something that one earns by merits, by what he does. It seems that this man is almost chomping at the bit, that he has answered and kept all the commandments. And now he just needs validation that he's kept the commandments. He wants to be forgiven, he wants grace. But Jesus goes on to say, there's one still thing missing. So, what does he say? Hang on, do that as well at the same time. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then, You'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. So why did the man go away sad? Why did he think? Because he was rich. Yeah, richer than me and you, that's for sure, George. That's not what he wanted to hear. Not what he wanted to hear, yeah. Older, I have more things to give up, really. I'm a career, I'm a nation, I've got my parents getting older, I, you know, I have kids, uh, and I think, I think it's the danger of habit. 
you know, a housing thing. Yeah. Putting the security in the things that are good, which I, I, I think when we look at the rich family leader today, we shouldn't think it's very different to us. We are rich. We don't worry about what we eat most of us, and I'm also speaking in general. There is a support system in this country. There's a lot of stuff that we have. The wealth we have is our reputation. It's what we do. I think going away sad. But no, I find it's quite hard, really. It's a hard story to tell. That's right. Any other thoughts? Why do you go away sad? No. It's as though Jesus looked into this guy's life and he immediately saw what made this guy tick. Straight away. He saw that what was really important to this man wasn't foremost, first and foremost God or his godliness, it was his riches, it was his things, his possessions, his wealth, his status, and he wanted validation in all of these things. That was his true treasure. And because this was his true treasure, that is where his heart was always going to be. When he was in need of comfort, or hope, or help, his heart was always going to be to turn to his riches, to turn to his status, to find validation in them things. As long as his possessions, as long as he had the possessions, his possessions had possession of him. And that's why Jesus said, for you, sell everything. Give it all up. He wasn't interested in a higher calling or a bigger or better cause. He was interested in the status quo. Now, no amount of work can help make up for a lack of relationship with Jesus. Work and relationship aren't the two things. Same thing, they don't go together. They're not the same thing. You can have all the works in the world, but still not know Jesus. He wanted the quick fix. He wanted to check off his list of things to do before he left town. He was not interested in a transformed life. In fact, he liked the life just the way he was. Comfortable with the now. He wanted the faith that cost him nothing. I've kept the Ten Commandments. I'm sound. I'm good. Please, can you just say one thing, Jesus? Say you're all right, and then I'll be on my way. You can be on your way. Jesus' answer was different. There is one thing keeping you from heaven, and that is a relationship with me. You're all about the doing. Here's something you can do. Sell it. Come with me. Okay, but I think we might be being a little bit harsh on this guy. I'll just move it. Isn't it difficult to trust someone you don't have a relationship with? I don't know about you, but I'm quite precious about some of my stuff. My wallet, maybe. Who I give my car keys over. How about you? What are you like trusting people with things? What are you like with your children? Trusting other people with your children? Maybe they do a better job than you. I don't, I don't know. I don't, do you trust people with your children? If I was to uh, ask for your wallet, and say, so I'll give it you back next week. Would you trust me? <laughs> no? Amy's saying a big fan now. 
is Simone. Simone here today. She's a trustworthy person. She left her after look after our uh, our cat recently in our house for a week. Was it? Yeah. A whole week. And Becky is absolutely precious about the cat. <laughs> so Simone, you know, in our house is a trustworthy person because if we could look after our cat and trust the cat, not the house so much, the cat, you know, <laughs> or even the kids, you know, the cat. What about trusting people who are not like you? Scousers. <laughs> and from Manchester, you know, Scousers, people from Liverpool. Oh, what about Southerners? Obviously, being a northerner, we're very trustworthy people. Those southerners, not quite sure, can trust you. <laughs> what about people from other other countries? Stefan from South Africa. Osage from Nigeria. Nigeria. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I can trust uh, people I don't really know very well. But trust starts somewhere. So how do we how do we begin to trust people? What do we do? It's a question. What, what do we do? Stefan? Get to know them. Spend time with them. Penny? I think you see how they handle difficult times. Mm. It's, it's how we are in the tough times that are real person comes out of it. Mm. Yeah. Some people, they quietly watch people for a while, don't they? And they watch and they observe and they kind of get a, is that person trustworthy? But even before they start a conversation, they tend to watch, maybe, maybe watching me for last year. I don't know, maybe watching me and thinking to myself, that Danny guy, is he, is he a trustworthy person? Is he really a Christian? Not made a mind up yet. Um, maybe speak to them. But yeah, we have to build trust. But Jesus is not saying here, don't build trust with me. What did Jesus say? He said, come. And follow me. The disciples didn't have the complete utter trust in Jesus from the day they left their nets and followed him. It was a relationship. It took time to build that trust. Sometimes they failed. Sometimes they they didn't. They, they did really, really well. But this man hasn't really reached that trust stage. Blinded by his comforts, busy doing things. He wasn't tired of himself, like we probably all were before we become Christians. He didn't see his sin or that his efforts could be, never be anywhere near the goodness of God. He thought it was almost on a level playing field with Jesus. Didn't see the need to give up and follow him. He could have gone with Jesus, even if it was just to find out more and then decide he's not for me. He could have begun to build trust and start a new relationship. Now, in Luke 16, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Even though this man was incomplete, he didn't see it. Or he kind of saw it, and that's what made him sad. Went away confused. Jesus offered him a mission, something beyond the moment to follow him. Now, the cost of following Jesus is different for every one of us. 
But for this man, it meant everything. The young man knew there was something bigger and better, deeper, more purposeful, something beyond himself. In fact, he could literally reach out and touch it. He was in the presence of it. But he decided not to go ahead with it. He must have been bored, unfulfilled with the status quo. But something temporarily was still gripping hold of him. In fact, in that brief encounter with Jesus, he had the opportunity to change his life and eternity forever. And he went away sad. How about you? Do you need to step out and try and trust Jesus? This man almost had it all. We can also now have it all. You know, we're going to take communion now. And as we think about communion today, I want us to think about trusting in Jesus, trusting in the King. Trusting in Jesus is not always easy. Jesus knows this. After all, we can't see him. We can't touch him. But perhaps we can feel him. Trusting a king, what does nothing for us, is actually quite hard, isn't it? We think about the kings of the past. Trusting a king is kind, well, and does things for us. That could be a bit easy to trust a king like that. But what about a king? What pays the price of our sin? dies for us. This is a king we can trust in. Jesus did this for us. So we might begin to trust him. We remind ourselves by taking the bread and the wine that represents the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We can remind ourselves with trust that can be reformed, that can begin, that can grow that can build as we take the bread and wine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you God that we have a king who is merciful, a king who understands us, a king who meets us where we're at, a king who understands everybody's need individually. We all have different needs. For this man, it was everything. For each and every one of us in this room, it's something different. We pray, God, that as we take the communion, it will be the bridge between us and you to build that trust in you for our lives. That whatever we give up will always be rewarded. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice. And we thank you, God, for all this in your Amen.